0: I'm Carol Cohn and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. What does a cultural anthropologist have to do with purpose? A lot. In today's absolutely delightful conversation with my guest Tonya Rodriguez, she's the Senior Human Experience Research Manager at the Hormel Foods Company, a.k.a. you could call her their cultural anthropologist. Working for over 14 years on Hormel's Elements team, which is really about insights and innovation, she uses ethnography and storytelling to build empathy for diverse consumer experiences. By identifying product pain points and uncovering consumers' desires, she assists brand teams in renovating existing products or creating new ones and improved food experiences for consumers. As a former social worker, Tanya is a fierce advocate for food equity and food sovereignty, and she'll discuss what that is, and champions efforts to eradicate food deserts and ensure access to high quality, nutritionally dense, and culturally congruent food for all. She is eternally curious about the future of food, including emerging food technologies and more sustainable ingredients. So welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. I had the joy of hearing Tanya at another conference, and she was just talking about really getting into the intimate details of food and culture and such, and I was mesmerized. So Tanya, let's just start with a little bit about your background. And then we're going to get into, like, for those who don't know, we're going to really talk a little bit about Hormel Foods.
1: Thank you so much. So in terms of what I do, when I say that I'm an anthropologist working for a food company, people are like, what? I thought Indiana Jones dug up things. So I have to explain explain a little bit. So anthropology is really about studying the human condition. And I'm a cultural anthropologist. Um, and so I basically gather cultural intelligence to solve uh, problems, to drive innovation, and forecast the future of food at Hormel. I work on a team called the Brandfield team, and I work really closely with consumer insights and innovation. And so the crux of my job is to be boots on the ground with consumers in the field. And that field can be um, actual field, like being in their home, shopping with them, cooking with them, but can also be a virtual field, right? Like now we know so much stuff is going on online, so I'm there as well. And so my primary purpose is to be that, um, you know, f- uh, finger on the pulse, of the consumer but I'm also there to evangelize those voices throughout the enterprise and make sure that all our teams and all the businesses is aware of what's going on with consumers and to really be an advocate for a lot of different, diverse voices. Um, that way that we're getting a full spectrum, a full landscape of what a consumer community looks like. And last but not least, I was hired to kind of be a pain in the butt. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. hired to be a disruptor. So um, I'm the one who's says, um, says, excuse me, but, you know, yes, but, um, and there's a lot of cultural correctives when needed. So that's a kind of cool aspect of my job, too, a little bit of an agitator. And
0: yeah, I love that. And because of the values the company embraces, you are allowed to speak up and they want you to speak up very much a lot about inclusion and belonging.
1: Absolutely. That is one of our cultural values is to speak up and to speak your mind and to make sure that uh, we have a lot of thought diversity at Hormel.
0: That's super. So let's just segue to Hormel because, I mean, if you're older like me, you know spam and you know that spam, you know, it helped to keep our soldiers fed during wars and such. And the company is 132 years old. So it dates way back.
1: I could talk all day about how great Hormel is. I have to say, um, I too was very familiar with spam. That's why I applied for the job with Hormel because I remember growing up eating spam and egg tacos. I remember uh, my grandpa using More If he didn't have a good hunt that day, he could rely on good old More. So I was very familiar with those products. What I wasn't familiar with um, until I applied was just how great and progressive the company is. For being an older company, it is an older company with lots of great appeal. They definitely live their purpose. It is a family affair in Austin, Minnesota. So, when I tell people, oh, they're in Austin, they're like Austin, Texas, and I'm like, no, (laughs) Austin, Minnesota. And I think it takes people aback that we're in such a small town. However, that's part of the aura of Hormel. They have deep roots. They care deeply about the community that started them, that has worked for generations for them. And so, they contribute to that community in many ways, economically, socially, um, culturally. So um, they're very committed to the social issues in that area. So making sure that um, people have educations, that people are trained for jobs with futures, making sure that our farmers are well taken care of and brought into the process and have equity in the food process. There's just so many different layers
0: There's a wonderful video, we're going to put a link in our show notes, and it's called Our Food Journey. And it's is—it's like an anthem film. It's three and a half minutes. It talks a lot about equity, and it talks about the values that the company embraces, which is business, you can be good at business, and good at citizenship. And the two go hand in hand. And it's amazing because it's stated, I think, three or four times, In different ways throughout the video, and I also know that you um, have great relationships with over 500 smaller, mid-sized farmers who are providing you, you know, with your supply chain. So again, can you talk a little bit about how that makes you feel?
1: It, I think it's a fantastic thing. That's one of the things that I can say embodies the spirit of Hormel. It's not just about, um, having profits for our shareholders and so forth, but it's about people. It's about those intimacies and having relationships, longstanding relationships with farmers in that area. Um, and really kind of walking that walk. We're a big company, but we're a little company. So we're, we are an entrepreneur made good. And the Hormel name in terms of family and business really stands for integrity and really trying to collaborate with all the people locally first, right? To serve the community that is truly building the infrastructure. So I hold my head up high because I know that what we're doing in feeding the common good um, is something that's not just about food, right? Because we talk about food as nutrient, but it's food for the human spirit. And that to me, is what really drives my passion for working there um
0: oh beautifully stated i mean you listeners you can you can hear the authenticity and the intimacy and the excitement and and just the just the truism coming through through tanya's uh voice so this is an amazing company now did you another another just a strange question the skippy mini bites or whatever you call them i mean did you help create those or if anybody hasn't had them, everybody loves like, oh, my God, bad day. i could have a spoonful of p- peanut butter. Right. But these are these little mini bites in the in the mini kind of, you know, trends that's happening and you pop them in your mouth and it's like almost endless. It's so delicious.
1: They are truly addictive. They're so good. So when we first acquired Skippy, we wanted to learn everything we could about peanut butter. So I went out again into the trenches to different markets and tried to figure out, well, what are the joys of peanut butter? But what are the pain points of peanut butter? And a lot of people talked about Peanut butter knuckle. And what that is, is when your jar gets oh. too low and you have to <laughs> stick your hand in there and you get peanut butter all over your knuckles, right. which is fun to kind of eat off, you know, if no one's watching. But at the same time, it's a problem. And so parents complained about it and so forth. So we brought that insight back and that uh, goes to our insights team and to our innovation team. And so we have a really great innovation team that just took it and ran with it and created a lot of um, solutions to eating peanut butter. Butter without getting peanut butter knuckle. That is hysterical. That is, that's, and it's such great insight. Yeah, it's so fun. So, you know, what's
0: a day in the life for you? Um, just talk a little about that. And then we're going to ask about some other fun things that you've helped to uh, provide insights and maybe even help innovate and create.
1: So my bread and butter is really ethnographic work. So doing the qualitative work, talking to consumers online, talking to employees too, because we don't just talk to consumers. We talk to our employees to get their feedback on products and stuff. I also do customer projects. So in addition to the people who buy our products out at a retailer or a club store, I'm talking to our food service providers and other providers who buy food from us. So I can go into a venue and to a restaurant, into a college campus. So that's really the core of what I do. But um, what's great about my job and great about a lot of jobs at Hormel is you get that thought diversity. You get to bring yourself into different things. So one of my other things is to stay on top of trends. So I have to try to help divine the future of food, which is so fun is, you know, what is going on with food today, especially with inflation? What are people doing? How are they handling it? Um, The other thing is just being able to tell that story, talk about our food journey, talk about the rich diasporas that feed into the Hormel food journey and be able to help um, corporate communication, help our brand teams and stuff showcase all of that diversity. And, and And you talk a lot about culture.
0: And that, that um, especially the tremendous cultures that we have in the United States as a mel- as a melting pot, can you give us a, a couple examples of how you've gone out and you've been sleuthing and connecting the dots, and then all of a sudden you gave this insight to a to an innovation team, and then out popped X product.
1: Well, I would want to talk about uh, spam a little bit. So I would say, in terms of of not necessarily products, but how we reinvent and how we keep relevant with a product that's over 80 years old, right? Um, so we have done some fabulous multicultural work with spam recently with different groups with African Americans, Asians, um, Hispanics, and really trying to look at relationships um, with the brand over time, and we got these beautiful stories of how people are using spam, what it means to them as an identity marker. So people talked about spam being able to transport them back to grandma's kitchen, back to mom's kitchen, and I spoke with John, who's a Ghanaian American, and he had a beautiful quote, and he said, "I asked." Him, Well, seeing that your family's from Ghana and you grew up with, you know, very African-based stews and so forth, but you were born here in the States, would you say spam is an African product or an American product? And he had a great quote. He said, spam was born in America, but raised around the world. Oh, great. And I thought, that's beautiful. And so those are the type of insights that this brought back to us. They said, okay, team, this is how people are using spam recipes that we had never thought of, uh, ways of uh, using different things like pan- pineapple vinegar, banana ketchup, all of these different condiments and spices that we weren't aware of. So that really helps us build recipes. But I think the most important thing is they said, hey, what we really would like is an authentic voice. Can you have people in your media that look like us? Can you have chefs that are from our culinary background that we can trust to build some of the recipes that we would like. And uh, can we see influencers that look like us? And our team took that and ran with it, it and been doing a fantastic uh, job at really doing a different kind of outreach and a more authentic outreach to different types of consumers.
0: And that's fascinating. I'm sure no one has thought about, in terms of equity and inclusion, the role of a cultural anthropologist. And I think that's fantastic that you are expanding and you're listening. I mean, you're a great listener. And that you've taken that information and then it has gone out. I love the fact of we want to see chefs like us. We want to see people that look like us in in the ads And and influencers. And so the authenticity, you know, you keep driving it forward.
1: Exactly. That's what we want to do. We want to give credit to all the people who are involved in creating wonderful meals and snacks with our products. We don't want to appropriate those things. We want to make sure that they're getting credit. We want to decolonize food. So that we really are able to go back to the roots and say, no, this is where the food is from. These are the people who are using sofrito or epis or um, maybe they're using a soy sauce or fish sauce. They are transforming that food. They are owning that food. And so that's really important that we do that because that's what eventually democratizes food and helps everybody come to the table in equitable ways. And it's really about being authentic from the jump.
0: So, decolonize food. So, you're, you're, I mean, can you explain what that means to our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of times we say, well, we hyphenate things. We say, well, that's really American. We're really American. But it comes from these deep, rich cultures of all kinds. You know, we can hear from Irish. We can hear from Mexican. We can hear from Vietnamese that have ways of taking a product that we would say, oh, this is an American product, but really using it in ways that are very unconventional and different and owning that in a different way. And so it's not a, a typical Americana product, but instead they are fusing things and creating things of their own. And how can we then not take credit for that and say, okay, we played a role, but ultimately the creation comes from the people themselves and to make sure that we're giving them credit for being innovative and savvy in their own right.
0: It's so amazing that you're talking about about inclusion. True inclusion that adds to the deliciousness, the variety of the food through the culture and through incredible combinations of things that people never would have thought. You're bringing the voices of um, cooks and chefs and influencers and farmers and all coming together to just listen and to evolve, evolve this 132-year-old company, which is just extraordinary. Can you talk a little bit more about equity? Because, you know, Tanya, in some of your um, writings and in interviews, um, you talk about that you're coming from, you know, kind of a more humble background, that you have a real... Uh, sensibility to the to the value consumer. And that's especially important today because of inflation. So talk about equity, because equity is one of those values that, that runs totally through the company.
1: So I think that's one of the things that um, Hormo really values is that being able to tease out the difference between equality and equity, for instance, people would say, oh, if something's in the center of the store, it's not fresh. It's not good food. You would hear that in popular culture. And they tasked me with like, what is the real narrative there and who is it helping? And I was able to come back and give them a different voice. So let's talk about equity in that those respects, is that we were able to say, listen, I've experienced you know, we, we spoke about my own personal life, a lot of food insecurity. I grew up with a 15 year old mother who was really strapped for cash and having to be very innovative in what she did with food. So I knew from my own lived experience what a workhorse center of the store was because those were foods that were belly fillers. They tasted great. They were affordable. They were accessible. And you know what? If they turned off the lights, it wasn't going to rot in the fridge. So I really understood the power of that food. And that was the story that Hormel was willing to hear. Again, giving more equity to those voices, understanding center of the store in a much more rich and robust way. The same thing they did for snacking. So we took snacks At the time, um, this was 2007 to 2009. Things were really shifting in food culture, from again center of the plate to more snacking. And they sent me out to college campuses to live with students on campus. Oh, fun! And see what (laughs) yeah. And it was it was such a blast, and it was really interesting to see the the um, multicultural variety in snacks and what people perceive snacks to be. And here, you know, Hormel again was willing to hear all those voices and to think out, out of the box, you know, in terms of how people were mealing and versus snacking and the different ideas that other cultures could bring to bear.
0: Can you talk about any sort of products that came out of that snacking expedition?
1: Our big product at the time was Rev and it was a wrap. Now that product, although it doesn't exist anymore, iterations of it have, have come to bear. It actually created a refrigerated snacking set in grocery now, a lot of other companies have done similar products in that area, but I think that was a product that really kind of was a harbinger of the spirit of Hormel to say, "Listen, we understand snacking, we understand it's differentiated now it's protein based it's portable, and we're going to you know give a shot at this now, that particular product did really well to begin with, but then you saw all these other um We call protein the charismatic nutrient. So you saw these other protein snacks come on stage and the company responded again and they thought, okay, let's get into, uh, let's acquire planters. Let's do other things. Let's do different things with Skippy brand that were able to rise to the occasion with snacks and start to follow it over time.
0: As a company, you've set some 2030 goals. And, and one of them is about food. This fascinates me because it, it goes back to the, um, the, the food insecurity. You're creating a food security community program and you are creating a blueprint in your headquarters town in Austin, Minnesota that you, I assume you hope to replicate around or, or export around the country. Can you talk about how did that come about and some, a little bit more of the information behind it?
1: These 2030 goals are really, there are 20 goals that we're looking to hit by 2030, and those are sustainability efforts. So when people think about sustainability, they tend to think about um, just environmental causes, and environmental causes are certainly part of that. But these goals are about people, product, and process. So we're really trying to hit all those three initiatives, and this is where um, the hunger, insecurity, fight comes in is under people. How do we start to change the infrastructure to make sure that people have access to tasty, culturally relevant, high-quality, nutritionally dense food, not just in Austin, but around the world?
0: You know, your role is, is really, um, it's so different. I'm sure that a lot of young people come up to you and they say, wow. I never even knew this existed. You know, how might I have, I love the food industry, but how might I follow in your footsteps? Do you have any recommendations for younger people who want to follow in that type of um, impact in their companies?
1: One of the things that Hormel sponsors is they send me to the American uh, Anthropological Association conference every year. And in that conference, I am part of a job fair that's sponsored by the National Association of Practicing Anthropologists. And we talk to young people who've never heard about food anthropology. And we try to help them understand all of the things that you can do, even if you hadn't studied food specifically are you interested in food science? Are you interested in consumer insights and doing um, ethnographic work in that way? Are you interested in innovation and doing design thinking, which I'm part of as well? Um, Are you interested in more of the social issues, maybe getting into an NGO or some type of social work where you're doing things on food inequality and food sovereignty? So we really try to introduce them to a lot of different varieties of techniques that they can get involved in. That's fantastic. Ethnographic
0: ambassadors in their own communities.
1: Right. Because it's, it's one, I love my job and I love going to learn about other people and I love bringing back stories. And I think that's very powerful. But I think it's even more powerful if you are embedded in your community, you have the lived experience, you are advocating for your own community and you can tell the story about your community. And so this really helps drive that sense of of uh, inclusivity of voice, right? And empowerment of voice so that young people really feel like, hey, I have a stake in this and I have a place at the table.
0: What's your point of view on food deserts? Because I've seen a little bit of your writing, but I'd love you to, because you're talking about the incredible power and the voice and the listening and, but also there are a lot of food deserts in this country.
1: There are a ton of food deserts and the infrastructure for food is very um, complex, but we have to make sure that again, that high quality food is getting to places. I appreciate that there are, um, there are organizations that are going out, right? Businesses that are going out to rural places and providing food, but we just want to make sure that uh, rural places also have variety. And choice. If you're, you know, not close to anywhere that sources not just food, good food, high quality, nutritious food. And
0: and now you're just for listeners, you're in over 80 countries, I believe, around the globe.
1: We're all over. Yeah, um, you're all yeah. over. <laughs> We're all over. And that's another thing is is we are a global company. A lot of people don't know that. And that's a, a great thing about our company is we are an American company with American roots. But we are the ones who are exporting and getting to know different cultures. And there, too, um, we have an, inter- an international team that's highly embedded in the cultures that they study, doing research, getting insights, trying to figure out all of the flavors that people like, how they use the products. So you see this, um, this idea for inclusivity and knowledge and curiosity about what's going on with all parts of our team, not just the domestic.
0: Yeah. And again, I love, you know, the, the listening, the inclusivity. Inclusivity just is absolutely across the board in everything that you're doing. So it adds to the richness of the success um, to your efforts. And, and I want to just make sure that our listeners know you're a publicly held company. You're not privately held. You're not third, fourth, fifth generation. You're publicly held. You've got to, re- you've got to return, you know, profits to the, to the public markets. And, but you also, you know, again, in our food journey video, you talk about the power of business and the power of community and the two work together. Um, I, I know, I, I love that there's, there's a quote in that video that says, all of humanity is now our hometown.
1: I think that's exactly the spirit that you get radiated. Mind you, I've been working remotely for, you know, all these years and that spirit gets radiated to me. It really is that type of show that people are super interested in the common good. That's my life purpose is to serve the common good. And I feel like it's reflected in my employer.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I wanted to ask you also, Tanya, what advice do you have for there's a lot of food companies out there and they keep buying each other up. But what advice do you have for their leaders to be relevant and to also have this growth engine that you've created, which is like thinking, knowledge, listening, innovation, as well as investing in community and core aligned issues?
1: Let me put it this way. I think it's okay to cultivate unicorns. <laughs> this is the best way I say it. People talk about workhorses and workhorses are needed and they drive the bottom line. Absolutely. But I think it's important to cultivate unicorns. People that think differently, that think out of the box. Maybe a company that you have acquired that thinks differently, that does innovation at light, light speed, you know, goes really quickly, uh, fails quickly and reiterates. So cultivate those unicorns. Believe in that magic because it, there is a science to it, but there's a magic to it. There's an art to it, to having people who are willing to push the boundaries, to think about the future of your business. Um, these small companies that, that you buy, they have their own culture and they have these rich, really cool cultures? And why then go superimpose? Instead, how do you harness that energy and synergize your own business? So rather than divide, we try to bring together and synergize, create more. So I would say, please champion your unicorns. Don't get rid of them and don't silo them. Instead, let them run and go ahead and make sure that you, you know, are giving them room to be different because that's what's going to take us into the next century is really thinking out of the box, making sure that we're keeping up,
0: That's wonderful. And, you know, to our listeners, they're going to go, oh, unicorns are supposed to be a tech company that's going to instantly be a billion dollars. And you're not talking about that. You're talking about the, I always talk about, you know, the the human power that drives a company forward. And so great. That's a great different explanation of a unicorn. I, I really love that.
1: I love to talk about unicorns, it's because it's that soft skill set. It's the empathy, compassion, intuition, those type of things that are soft skills that we're not really sure how they work, but they're the things that create brilliant products are brilliant ways of thinking. You know, it's the garage works, right? They all of the, think about all the companies that were created in a garage with just someone's brain out there thinking differently. What a beautiful way to grow something new.
0: That's wonderful. I'm sorry we have to we have to get to the end of this because it's such a great conversation. But I always love to give our guests a final word.
1: One of the things I like to leave people with, and it's again, I think my personal philosophy and something I see radiated in Hormel is to feed the common good. Be inclusive to people. Be kinder to the earth. It's the only one we've got Um, in the food industry. You know, feeding the common good really is literal and it's figurative. Again, I talk about that nurturing the body, right? Making sure you got those nutrients, but it's that emotional nutrition that we need as well that feeds that spirit. Um, I like to use this this saying where we say panza llena, corazón contenta, meaning if you have a full stomach, you have a calm heart. And that really is about the contentment that the world needs, that we need. And I really um, am proud to work for Hormel because I feel that they embody that motto.
0: So thank you, Tanya Rodriguez. I mean, you have, I mean, the, I, I had the joy of having a lot more time with you than you had when I met you in New York at 3BL Brands Taking Stands. You are just extraordinary. You are a unicorn and you're in an environment that allows you to flourish. So again, I'll give you the last word because I'm just uh, enthralled, you know, enthralled by you.
1: I just want to say is is eat well, live a delicious life and always, you know, feed yourself, and but feed the common good.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Tanya. This has been an amazing conversation. And I know our listeners are going to know a lot more about Hormel now. And they're going to look at the brands. And the brands are now going to be imbued with these halos of goodness and thinking and unicornness.
1: Thank you so much, too. I really appreciate it.
0: This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it and activate it and evolve it over time So it has the greatest impact on business growth and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.